Good morning, guys. That is a very warm welcome. So before we get into this, we're going to continue Joel 2. And just kind of remember the, the parts prior to this are about like destruction and flames and famine and locusts. And we're going a different direction. So hop up on the Joel train as we go in 2.18. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea, his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The trees bear its fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rains for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years of the swarming, the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the Lord, and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and, the, and there is no one else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Thanks, Jonathan. Good morning. My name is Heather, and I'm one of the pastors here. And aren't you glad you're up on the Joel train this morning? Um, we've been in the book of Joel, as Jonathan said, and we'll continue um, today in the chapter two. Um, I have a niece. Her name is Anna Sophia, and she is four years old. She is the, one of the cutest small humans you will ever have the delight of meeting. And she lives in Peru. Um, she's four. And um, there's times where we chit-chat on the phone because we can't, we're not in proximity to, to each other. But, you know, now that there's um, ability to look on the phone and we can see each other, so I thought you'd like to see us because we had a conversation the other day. <laughs> Isn't the best? I love to take pictures when we're chatting because, you know, we can't see each other in person. So the other day, we hung out. She was in Lima and I was in Salt Lake and we hung out for about an hour. And um, we were playing. She had my brother's phone. My brother has a new phone. He was given an iPhone 11. And thankfully, my brother is letting her be outside with this phone. But she decided that she is going to put the phone in the leaves because we're playing hide-and-seek. And so she puts the, the phone in the leaves, and she's like, when it's in the leaves, then you say, where are you? And so then when I can't see her, I'm like, where are you? And then she, like, comes and gets out the leaves. 
Then the next thing you know, she's like pushing the phone into the mud. And I'm like, all right, where are you? And then I hear mommy coming. Anna Sophia, be careful with the phone. You can damage it. Okay, mommy. And then mommy leaves. The next thing you know, like it's hard for me to tell because you know, we're like this. But all of a sudden, like I don't know where I am, but I'm somewhere. I'm not in her hand anymore. And I hear her sister coming out. And I hear her sister being like, Anna Sophia. And Anna Sophia's like, no. And then her sister says, no, mommy wants to see you. You have to come inside. And so um, she goes inside, and she's like, Mommy, I just put it in the bushes. I just put it in the bushes. And she's like, Anna Sophia, I saw you throwing it. <laughs> and she's, she's just standing there like I can see it because she's holding the phone, like holding it at me. She's like, I saw you throwing it. She's standing there. She's been found out. Anna Sophia, you can't throw the phone. You might damage it. Fair. Right, there's things that we do too that can cause damage. We've all been there standing in front of somebody, a spouse, a friend, a family member or at work. We've done something that could have caused damage or that actually did cause damage in varying degrees. Like we've been that person standing in front, and we've also likely been that person on the other end of that who's experienced the damage. We've been found out. And that's where we're at in the book of Joel. Joel has sounded the alarm like a big sister to the people. Pay attention. Come, come inside. And so far in chapter 2, he's pointed out not potential damage, but actual damage that has been done. And he's used vivid language of the effects of evil. That it's painful and that it's devastating and that it's hurt. And that sin is not this arbitrary accounting system of goods and bads that is immaterial in its effect, but instead the effects are real, and there is real agony as a result of that. And there's become this awareness that not all is right in the world because of this damage. And so the alarm bell, Joel has sounded the alarm bell in relation to what has been said over and over again of the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is this moment that we see where God is against every expression and emblem of human pride. He's against it. In the world around, he's against it in them. And to be honest, he's against it in us. And God is against it because he invades to heal and to overthrow what is evil. And so Joel sounds the alarm. And he points them in God's direction. Get inside and have a combo because there's some damage happening or some extensive damage that is happening and has happened and will continue to happen 
get inside and have a little conversation. And that's his job as a prophet, to point them in God's direction, to remind them who God is and remind them to know who they are in relation to who God is. And so as we read last week, return to the Lord your God, says Joel, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. He is slow to anger. He's gracious and merciful. He's abounding in steadfast love. Go and get near to him. Have conversation. Be open and honest about what it is that's going on, what you're doing. Who knows whether he will turn and relent. Will he relent and leave a blessing? That's the big question that is left on the table after last week. Will he relent? What's going to happen now that they're found out? And today is where we pick up the answer that Jonathan just read. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain and wine and oil, and you will be satisfied. I will no more make you approach among the nations. Fear not, O land, but be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The trees bears its fruit, the fig tree and vine give their full yield. I will pay back the years the locusts have eaten. He responds, I'm going to send you grain and wine and oil, all the things that had gone missing. He hears these people as they've come open-hearted before him, and he's like, I hear you, and I'm going to respond. I'll send you grain and wine and oil. And in verse 20, he says he's going to throw the northern away. And many commentaries here say that that's likely the locusts. He's going to send the locusts into the sea. And then he speaks directly to those who have felt the effects of this disaster. Don't be afraid, land. Don't be afraid. The locusts have done terrible things. God has done great things. Don't be afraid, animals. The green has returned. The trees now have fruit on them. The figs and grapes are at full yield. Dude, we've got a bumper crop. Yes. He sees the land and the animals and he has compassion. And then he speaks to the people. Be glad. Rejoice in the Lord your God. He has poured down for your abundance rain, the threshing floors, the places where you keep your stores of food, they're going to be full of grain. The vats, they're going to overflow with wine and oil. It's not just going to be enough, there's going to be plenty. There's an abundance about to happen. And he says, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Be pleased, people. As you've come into my company, celebrate. 
God responds as they go before him with an overflow of good things. Tells us about God's heart. That God has a naturally generous heart, even when we're found out, even when we've done damage. God's heart remains the same. He's naturally generous. It's abundant generosity, lavish. He can't help himself. And Joel knew it, which is why I think he pointed them in God's direction. And he says, I will restore the years, years, that the locusts have taken. It's not just been a week or two or a couple of months. These people have been in a hard state and situation for years. Maybe some of you have been in a hard situation and state for years. It's wearying. The time of hardship has been lengthy. Feels like their time has been wasted or lost. A lot of potential that just has been gone, ravaged. It's disappointing. It's disheartening. The damage has stolen away years from them. Things that they have done and things that have been done to them. And God responds and says, I will restore the years that have been taken from you. And that is a word there that means repay. I'm going to pay it back, yo. I'm going to pay back the years that have been stolen. I'm going to make up for what's lost. I'll make up for it. You lost it, I'll make up for it. He is going to take responsibility for it and acknowledge that damage done. And then he is going to make a promise to provide ample compensation for what they've suffered. It's like mind-blowing, right? It's like my little niece being like, oh, I broke the phone. I'll pay for it. I'll take care of it. Because as a four-year-old, yeah, she's not going to be able to do that, right? Ample compensation. I'll make up for what's lost. Take responsibility for it. Both what has been done and what you've done both. So there they are before God. They've been found out. What's going to happen? In moments like this, what do we expect? We expect to be abandoned. We expect to be shamed, that we're not wanted anymore. That we expect to get what we deserve. That's often what we think. We have an expectation that we'll be shamed, that we'll be shunned. But instead, and consistent throughout the biblical text, that isn't what happens with open hearts before a generous God. 
God calls us back home to him. Come here. Come here to me. Come back home. And then he forgives. And not just forgives, but he blesses. He gives back. He pays back. Brings what's called satisfaction in the text. And it's not just a little bit of blessing. It's lavish. Just like over and abundant and overflowing and full. Those are the words that you hear in the text. Not just a little, all right, pat, pat. It's abundant, it's lavish, it's full, it's overflowing. When we're found out, God responds to open and honest hearts with generosity and blessing. It's the kind of expectation we should have when we show up before God. That that is, he can't help himself. Johnny last week said it's hard for us to wrap language around this, to understand it, let alone know it. Those are two different things, right? Understanding something, but like knowing it. It feels really hard to wrap language around this so that we would know this to be true of God. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is how do we respond? Like we can hear these things and like understand them, but how do we know them? How do we respond to that knowing? Let's keep reading. Praise the name of the Lord your God. Praise the name of the Lord your God. Who has dealt wondrously with you. Wondrously. My people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. And I am the Lord your God. And there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Praise the name of the Lord your God. Who has dealt what? How, how has he dealt with you? Wondrously. Praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. You see, I want you to know that. Not just to understand it, but to know it. It's not going to put you to shame. It's going to be in your midst. So how do we respond? We celebrate. Jonathan sent me a text this week after I asked him to read. And he said, it is just great to hear a blessing from God and the promise that God will provide and care and not let us be put to shame. Then he says, I'm a big fan of this passage. It's worth being a fan of this passage. It's worth knowing this understanding it, holding it, absorbing it, believing it. Praise God, there's no shame. 
There's no need to fear shame because there is no shame. The fear that we wouldn't be wanted, the fear that we'd be rejected, the fear that we'd be abandoned. That's what shame does. God gives a promise of presence. I am in your midst. I'm with you. I'll stay with you. I'll always sound the alarm to call you home and then what can you expect? Wondrous things. Grace and mercy. Steadfast love. I feel like this story is like the Old Testament version of the prodigal son. How many of you are familiar with the prodigal son? Yeah. I feel like this is the Old Testament version of that. Find it in Luke's Gospel in chapter 15, and Jesus tells that story of the prodigal son. He tells the story of a son who dishonors the love and belonging of the father. He violates and abandons relationship. And off he goes. And eventually, the son feels the pain of that. Feels the damage that is being done to him and being done to those around him. Feels the deprivation, the loss. Gets weary of it. That scarcity that he feels is wearing. And so he goes home. And what's the father doing? The father's waiting and looking, longing for him to come home, expecting and hoping and longing. And as soon as he sees him, what does he do? Runs fast as he can. Sees him in the distance and runs fast as he can to get to him. And then when he sees him, he puts a kiss right on his cheek. He welcomes him, wraps him in something beautiful and puts a ring on his finger. And then he throws a massive party, celebrates the return. It's lavish and abundant. It's generous. And I think Jesus tells this story in the New Testament for the same reason that Joel sounds the alarm in the old. They're both asking the people around them the same question. Do you know who God is? Do you know who God is? Do you know what it means to be God's people? Do you know what it means to be God's person? It's this kind of craziness. Generosity and lavish and pulls you in. Do you know who God is? Do you know what it means to be God's people? Do you know what it means to be God's person? 
It's to be the receiver of this kind of craziness even when you're found out. To be forgiven and not just forgiven, to be blessed. I had a friend who wrote a letter to herself because she kept wanting to punish herself for the ways that she had hurt someone close to her. He had forgiven her, but she was having a hard time taking hold of it, accepting it, embracing it. And so she wrote herself a letter. And this is what she wrote. I told her I was going to read it. Dear, and then she wrote her name. There's a level to which allowing yourself to feel genuine remorse or guilt and sorrow serves a purpose. It has allowed you to take responsibility for what you did. At the same time, these emotions no longer serve you if they keep you in a place of wanting to punish or perfect yourself. Accepting forgiveness means that you can take action to make things happen differently in the future. You can use your energy towards those goals rather than using it to maintain your position of guilt and shame. Pour forgiveness over yourself and dare to believe that you have enough value to be forgiven. Dare to believe that you have enough value to be forgiven. I'm going to read that again. Dear, and maybe you need to put your name in. Dear Heather, there's a level to which allowing yourself to feel genuine remorse or guilt and sorrow serves a purpose. It has allowed you to take responsibility for what you did. At the same time, these emotions no longer serve you if they keep you in a place of wanting to punish or perfect yourself. Accepting forgiveness means that you can take action to make things happen differently in the future. You can use your energy towards those goals rather than using it to maintain your position of guilt and shame. Pour that forgiveness over yourself. Dare to believe that you have enough value to be forgiven. In this moment in the life of Israel, this passage asks them to dare to believe that. It also asks us to dare to believe that is true in our relation to God. And in this passage, we're also asked to dare to believe that we will receive a blessing. Crazy talk. That not only could we be forgiven, but that we might also be recipients of what it is that he would have to give us from his generous heart. Amicio, it's important that we believe it and that we know it, that we don't just understand it. And it's important because it has repercussions, not just for us, it has repercussions for the people around us, the people in this city. 
the people in your neighborhood, the people that you see every day. Us believing and knowing this has repercussions beyond this space, beyond your life. Because as we are able to receive the reality of that, we'll start to be people who give. Where there is harm and damage done to us, and there will be. There will be harm and damage done to us by the people in our lives. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, when they fling something at us. And as we are able to receive from the abundance of God, we'll be able not just to forgive, but we will be people then that bless. That we ourselves will have generous hearts because we've been recipients of God's generous heart towards us. And so we'll not just forgive, we'll be the people that bless. Because that is the heart of God for us and it becomes the heart of God through us. We won't be able to help ourselves. God's way is a different way, one that we might not be used to. It's not natural to us. His way isn't the way of resentment and bitterness and revenge. His way is the way of generous blessing. When we're found out. And he wants us to receive it so that we become a community of people that give it freely, abundantly, just overflowingly. It's important that we believe it and that we know it. So I have a question for you today. What do you need? What do you need this morning? As you come to this table, it's a reminder of one who is gracious and merciful and full of steadfast love who's willing to pay the cost to make amends, to make things right and to bless with presence, with his presence. And all he asks is that you come with an open and honest heart. You listen to the alarm or the big sister, like come inside and have a little chit-chat. Then what do you receive? You receive generosity and mercy and steadfast love and blessing so that you can go here free and unencumbered by shame, taking responsibility but unencumbered by the fear of rejection. So the invitation is that you would receive So you might need to write a letter to yourself today. 
What would you write? You might need to come up with a way of celebrating today. Similar to the father that threw a party. Like, how can you throw a party for yourself? That there's freedom that you have in proximity to who God is. That there's generosity and forgiveness. At Easter, Adrian and Jordan threw us a big meal. And that was a way of us practicing the reality of God's generosity. Maybe there's a way that you can practice that today. In order to try and get hold of the reality of who God is. Do you know who he is? Practice the reality of who he is. That he's a God who forgives. That he's generous and he blesses. Even when we're found out. Or maybe today you need to give. You need to give where there was harm. Somebody has harmed you, done damage. Maybe not just one person, maybe a group of people. And the heart of God invites you to bless. To bless. That doesn't necessarily mean getting back into a relationship with that person. But it could mean that today you offer them generous thoughts. You pray for that person or those persons this week. Or today you ask God to bless them when you are at this table. Maybe it's not good for you to do it alone and so there'll be people over here that would be willing to pray that blessing for you. If you're not able to do it with your own words, they will do it for you. And as you come to this table, I would ask that you receive. That you receive from one who is gracious and merciful and steadfast in love towards you. You would come with an open and honest heart. Areas where maybe you need to be found out. And then I'd invite you to let that receiving turn you into a person that is giving. Who can give that same blessing that you've received where damage has been done. As you come to this table, Missio, and as you step into your week, praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. You'll never be put to shame never be put to shame. You can know that he is in the midst of us by his spirit. That he is the Lord, your God, and there is no one else. His people, you people, Miss Yo, will never be put to shame. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you that it um, speaks loudly of what your heart is towards your people. And thank you that it's not an isolated moment in the text, but it's the way the text consistently unfolds. Which is why Jesus' words of the prodigal son echo the words that we hear here in Joel because the story is one story. And it's the story of your abundance and of your lavishness and your generosity and to open an honest heart to your gracious and merciful and steadfast in love and slow to anger and abounding in graciousness. And we can't hardly get our heads around it. And so Spirit, make it real to us. Make it real in our practices so that we become a people that bear that image to the world around us. That we're receivers and givers. We receive generosity and we give generosity. We receive forgiveness and we give forgiveness. We receive blessing and we give it. We need your help. And so today, wherever anybody is, as they come to this table, may they feel the freedom to have an open and honest heart before you. An open and honest heart before the people that they sit with or people on the side who pray. And may that risk, may that openness and honestness this week, Lord, provide fruit in them that is the fruit of your generosity and of your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue worshiping. Monsieur, you're welcome at this table. The bread is gluten free and it's.